welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hello everyone, thanks so much for being here today. This is a really full episode with Gillian, who is a childhood friend of mine actually. We danced together, she was an exceptional dancer and she then went professional and due to injuries had to change her direction in life, ended up teaching, owning a studio herself and just going through a lot of big things in life. So we do a deep dive into body image into anxiety, the ideas of being a perfectionist and the impact that has when things don't quite go to plan or you hold yourself to really high standards. We also pick apart the messaging behind dance culture, especially at the moment and how it's all changed from our time in the dance world as opposed to what's going on now. So I don't want to take up any more time because honestly, this is quite a detailed episode what I will say though is we do talk about the idea of some eating disorders so if that is a trigger subject for you just giving you a pre-warning but before I hand it over to the conversation I have been doing these non-sponsored business shout outs small business shout outs on the way to Christmas after everything that especially Victoria has seen with all of the lockdowns and Gillian as a creative has a lot of creative projects going and so on the side obviously and so she is dance teaching but on the side she also is a makeup artist and has been for over 10 years she worked with mac in london worked on photo shoots and television and she is a mobile service that works out of port melbourne so you can engage her for a full face of makeup or just eyes if you're going to be going to an indoor event in which you might be wearing a mask and her Instagram handle will be in the show notes and you can just DM her through that or email her. She does want to let you know that there are limited appointments, obviously, because of COVID and ensuring that hygiene practices are upheld. So if you do want to engage her, please reach out. All her information will be in the show notes. And this is my conversation with Gillian. Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. We met at a dancing school and I started there in 95, but you were already there. And I'd love you to tell me when you knew that dancing was your thing. Okay. I didn't really have a choice at the beginning because mum put me in when I was four. It kind of grew from there. I think parents put you into hobbies to get you active and get you kind of doing things. But when it becomes a passion of yours, that's when it develops a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I reckon I was around nine or 10 when I was like, yeah, this is cool. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And then I really got stuck into the ballet side of things Mm -hmm. quite seriously from the time I was like 11. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you go through through the motions and then, you know, you're a kid, things change. So the Mm -hmm. direction I wanted to go in completely changed. Yeah. But yeah, I knew pretty early on that it's like, I want to do something with this because I think I just felt so strongly about it without even realizing. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of experiences did you have with dance in those earlier years? I mean, you were in it too. So you got like 
comp. Yeah. I think I did my first solo when I was seven. I had like a conversation the other day where I was like, oh, if I watch that back, I look like the most miserable child. Oh, really? In my white tutu. Yeah. <laughs> On stage, I looked like I was hating life. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't smile through the whole thing and it was pretty funny. Then you kind of go on and you do your troops and your solos and your duos and workshop. Yeah, it was cool. It, it's a different world. Yeah. To a lot of other sports and stuff like that. It's not just going to a footy game. There's so much prep. Oh, so much. Like my brother did footy mm. and it was literally like get really early in the morning. Like he'd have his training and stuff, but nowhere near the amount of time that we put into dancing. It was insane. Plus the exams. We all did ballet exams and we had to do like pre-point. Remember totally. six months of pre-point before you could get on point shoes? And- yeah, your demi-point shoes. They were comfortable, weren't they? <laughs> like this weird in between and so it was so uncomfortable and I was like what are these what am I doing in these give yeah, me one and, or the other and I still remember how serious it was because our dance teacher had to meet us at a block store and she was there to help us choose our dance shoes to make sure that they were appropriate it was it yeah. was serious business getting point shoes. but it's still a thing now though as well is it yeah I think a lot of teachers like to go and they always end up che- like I still check point shoes. do you like they bring them back and they're like can you check my point shoes before I put ribbons on I'm like yeah. sure <laughs> so it's a real part of it go ahead yeah it's cool though like your first pair of point shoes memories yeah well I still remember going to block that day and standing at the bar I literally did not have the feet for point shoes but I gave it a red hot go <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first pair I remember what they were called they were sonatas from block mm-hmm. yeah for my wide ass feet <laughs> Well, I was the one that, you know, the teacher was constantly like, point your feet. I'm like, I am pointing them. You know, that was me. I was absolutely (laughs) terrible. Just not built for it, but loved it. Just not built for it. So what role did dancing play for you in those formative years, especially through those secondary or high school years? So it was discipline for me, but it was Mm. also a creative outlet. Like I'm a bit of control freak by nature. Like I had my routine. I lived for a routine and that's kind of carried on with me now as well, which is why... COVID has kind of just made me go a little bit yeah there's no routine yeah but it did it kept me occupied through adolescence as well Mm -hmm. like looking at what my friends were doing there were times where I totally was like oh I'm missing out on stuff like you know go to the movies on a Saturday afternoon which we didn't do we had dance that's right all day all day and or like little things like at the end of the year Everyone would be going out for like parties on a Saturday afternoon and we had concerts and concert prep and dress rehearsal and we didn't have holidays. We had comps. I loved it though. I really, really loved it and I probably wouldn't have had it any other way because I had my dancing Mm. friends and which I probably through those years connected more with than the people at school. Like I had friends at school Mm. but I definitely connected more with the dancing girls and boys. Mm. But, yeah, I think for me it was more just to keep creative and to keep disciplined and to have some fun. And I think as well because I did know quite early on that Mm. I did want to kind of do something with it, I was really committed to it. I would dance I would dance all the time. You are an amazing dancer. Was it the fact that you knew you had that natural ability or the fact that you were committed to being really good? I think it was a bit of both. There were definitely things I had to really work hard at. Mm. I think people, I don't want to sound like I was like, yeah, awesome. But, like, I think people thought it came a lot easier than what it actually did. I definitely would have thought that. Tell me what you had to work on, Gillian. Oh, I had really bad feet. Even just, like, I was that kid who would practice the exams at home constantly. 
there was like a back room in our house that my parents purposefully kept kind of naked of any kind of furniture so I could just kind of go out there and practice and I'd spend hours there Mm. you have to though it with something like this that's quite creative but at the same time disciplined yeah it's like a sport you know where you have to train you can't just go to your training session and then come home and sit on your butt and do nothing if you want it you have to go for it you have practice and you have to train mm. and there were so many hours outside of the studio that I put in I think I worked yeah. harder than people actually thought I did a lot of the time yeah I would look at you and just think oh Jillian she's always in the middle you know she always gets the best parts <laughs> in the dances not that it was like a negative thing it was you're beautiful to watch you know there was no doubt and you were so talented for me to watch that and to see you excelling like that And I think maybe for an immature or a young mind, it's hard to comprehend maybe how much you wanted it. Totally. Yeah. And I think as well, a lot of those times, it was almost harder in the sense that there was so much pressure of time, which is why also I'd go home and practice my butt off because if I made one mistake, it was like, oh, Jillian made a mistake. And I just didn't, because I can't handle that myself. I don't like making mistakes. And yeah. also I knew that like, if I stuffed up, people would have something to talk about. Yeah. And that's the thing that's interesting because I think when we first started talking, I was <laughs> laughing. At, you know, I was in the, you know, the back right-hand corner. I could have done the Macarena. <laughs> like nobody knew what was going on. And, oh, Gillian was at the front. And then you mm. said that to me about yeah. the pressure. You really do need to understand that there's always two mm-hmm. sides to everything, the isn't there? The pressure of the Fuedes. Of which they were perfect whenever I saw them. I stuffed stuffed it once. I dropped the F-bomb. Did you? Yeah, full F-bomb. I didn't say it super loud, but as I mouthed (gasps) it, I just remember landing the the position and my mum's beautiful smiling face was like, "Mm." (laughs) and I was just like, and I was so devo. And Yeah. yeah, I just, I was so upset. And I think everyone just kind of stayed away from me. <laughs> I was like 12. I was yeah, like a right. child. And I was just like, ah, oh, I can't handle this. Yeah. You were a child. I'm <laughs> like a child. Yeah. You're 12. Yeah. So, and yeah. that's the thing. It's pressure. It's pressure you put on yourself. It yeah. comes back to it being such a yeah. discipline that, like, when you do stuff it up, you're kind of like, Ugh. you know, I've put all this work in. How did that happen? Yes. It happens. Nothing wrong with yeah. it. So considering you were so committed to dancing, how did that affect schooling? What was schooling so, like for you? School, I was a bit of a nerd as well, without without sounding awful and saying nerd's a bad thing. No. But my parents were very much, yeah. you finish school and you do good in school, otherwise there's no dancing for you. Which yep. okay. I, when I was like about 14, I want to say, I floated the idea in the household about leaving school and going full-time. And at the time, I wanted to pursue classical over anything else. So I wanted, you know, the Australian Ballet was like the destination of choice and that's what I wanted to do. And I floated that idea with my parents and my dad was just like, absolutely not. (laughs) That's just not happening. And my mum was like, you're joking. I can't even believe you're saying this to us. (laughs) But do you know what? I'm so grateful they did that because, first of all, what I wanted to do changed within a couple of years and I no longer wanted to go down that way. And then also I think it's a wise idea to complete high school. Um, And I don't want to sound 
um, negative towards anyone who made another choice because everyone's choice is their own and, and their families. And I don't want to ever come down as like an authority on that. But for me personally, it was a wise choice because my dancing career was essentially cut short in the end due to injuries. So I at least had options. I felt like I had a good enough head on my shoulders to pursue other things straight away. Mm. And I'm very, very grateful that my parents were like, nah, no deal. Mm. You're sticking it out in school and you're going to do well in school. You're not just going to stick it out and kind of coast through. You're going to work hard. So I kind of had a really good balance in terms of like being in school and fitting in at school. That was another story. <laughs> okay. So what was that like? Well, I mean, I didn't not have friends. I did have friends, but it was I felt disconnected a lot of the time. I felt like I didn't mm-hmm. fit in. I think because it just when you have such a different passion to other people, I don't think people understood because when we were growing up, I mean, now you look at the dance industry now and you look at dancing, especially all these TV shows come out has kind of, it's incredible. It's the absolute beast of an industry now. Yeah. When I was growing up, it was kind of like, just your hobby like why do you care so much about it and yeah okay it's it was kind of hard to sit back and just go okay well I'll just keep I kept my mouth shut a lot of the time like I just wouldn't talk about it like my friends didn't really get it there were a few girls who were my age who we competed against who understood it but I never really felt like I had that kind of group of friends that really understood what I was about it was kind of just like hanging out with people until I got through high school like they made it bearable. Yeah. We had good times. Like I'm not saying we didn't have good times, but it was definitely like when I look back on it now, they were there for me and we got through things together. But fitting in at high school was like a lot different to what I thought of it at the time to now. Yeah. Do you think that they understood how good you were and how much you were going to potentially do with, with this hobby? I don't think so. And I think that was a a divide as well. I don't think they understood. Like, I mean, apart from them seeing me do the liturgical dances at the school assembly, like, like, it's kind of hard. Yeah, with the hymns, you know, like, it's hard to understand when I'm just doing, like, waving my hands in the air and maybe chuck a leg mount up, you know. Yeah, with some material somewhere, surely. Yeah, but literally material all the time. Like a piece you. of chiffon, yes. throw it up in the air. Like. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I think unless you're in dancing, unless you're in it, you don't really understand mm. it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I think now even shows like Dance Mums has illuminated that for the masses. Yeah, yeah, Dance Mums. I hate that show. I feel like that's a soft point. Yeah, Yeah. I hate it. I can't stand it. It's one of those things where you're like, you watch Dance Mums? And I was like, never have, never will, can't stand it. It's everything I I don't like about dancing in a show. It's a really awful awful representation. I'm not going to say it's an untrue. It's not an untrue element, no. but it's certainly not the entire representation of totally dancing. Totally not, no, yeah. Yeah. Considering your parents were all about the academia and ensuring that you finished school mm-hmm. and that dancing was, even though important, it was secondary, mm-hmm. did you feel you had to have a more academic path mapped out when finishing school? Yes and no. I feel like it was the preferred direction. Yeah where it was like, you know, we want you to go to uni. Uh, back then when it was called enter schools, I'd gotten a really good yeah. enter school when I finished year 12. And, yeah, I think it was just expected. I think it's just because when you're talking about something like dancing, which is widely viewed as a hobby, mm-hmm. I don't think 
people really go, oh, okay, well, she's actually going to go do something with it. Mm. She's worked really hard in high school. Why wouldn't she go to, you know, university? I'd gotten into my first preferences. And yeah. so it was like a double degree. And my dad was like, woo, uh, majoring in marketing. Yeah. yeah. I remember I was still auditioning for full-time courses. So in the lead up to exams. Dance courses. Yeah. And then I remember it was after I'd gotten accepted to the course, my first preference, and I had both acceptance packages sitting next to each other on like the kitchen bench. Yeah. I said to mum, I was just like, I can always go back and study. I can always go back to uni. I can't take two or three, four years off and then go, oh, actually, I, sh- I want to dance, so I'm going to go back. And it'd be past, yeah. like you lose those years of peak physical strength. Absolutely. When I said that, my dad was just kind of like, I don't understand. Because also, like, my parents are Anglo-Indians, so they come from quite a traditional, they're quite westernised now. But back, like, you know, we're talking like 17 You would have been 2003, is that right? 2003, yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, what do you mean? He just didn't understand it. But I think that's also because he didn't understand what kind of a career could come out of it. Yes. Dancing's the hobby. Like, that's done now. Now it's time for you to go and get a real job. Yes. And you know what? I wonder too, what if it was his son who had got into the AFL? Yeah. And But you've got this uni course, just do the uni course and then come back. I mean, that wouldn't even be discussed. You go mm. into that career while you're in peak physical condition. You know, that's just, yeah. it was an interesting one to look at, I guess, the different ways that they're viewed. Definitely. Like my brother was like a competitive tennis player. Mm. And he gave up towards the end of high school, but he had the potential to go professional. And I think, though, because back then there was such a stigma attached to dance, mm. I think as well they can't see beyond the hobby idea of it. They don't realise yeah. how big the arts industry is. They don't think of it in the sense yes. that, oh, you could one day be up on a stage at some award show or you could be travelling the world doing this. And I don't think it was until my parents came and saw me on my first contract that it kind of clicked what could kind of follow. But they want stability for their children. Yeah, they want stability and they want success. I understand all of that. And, like, you know, it's even little things like my parents came across from India when they were in their early 20s. So all they ever knew was get a job, be stable. There's no faffing around. It's just get it together and get your life together and make it work. Whereas with this, they kind of like, well, what is this? Like, we don't understand. Yeah. And I'm not saying they weren't supportive because they were supportive from day dot with whatever I wanted to do. It was just understanding what was behind it or how was it going to work. Yeah. And yeah. plus we're in Australia, you know, with yeah. very limited or at least seemingly limited career opportunities. I mean, I mm-hmm. think if you're in America, well, sure, why not? You go to these places, there's lots of different opportunities. Yeah. And I can see that too from your parents' perspective. 100%. And I totally, at the time I didn't understand, but now looking back on it, I'm like, I would totally understand yeah. why they would be like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know? So I feel like you've already sort of given me some of your opinion about this, but what do you feel about that classic pathway of success? And I say that in inverted commas, mm-hmm. really, the idea yeah. of finishing school, going to university, getting a house, getting a job, getting married, having children, that really mm. very linear idea of success. How does that yeah. sit with you? I've gone like through waves with this mm-hmm. in terms of my opinion. Now as who I am and what I've done, my opinion is just each their own. Do yes. what you want to do. As long as you know you're not being a criminal or wasting your life. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you've got this life to live. Don't waste it. 
I try not to judge. Like whatever you want to do, you go for it. I don't think there needs to be even I did it when I was 15 I was like by the time I'm 25 I'm gonna be engaged and by the time I'm 27 I'm gonna be married and then I'm gonna have kids by the time I'm 30 I'm 34 single living on my own I've had a million different careers you can't find that life will throw hurdles at you I don't think it's ridiculous I just think if that's what you want go for it if you want to go some other direction do that too just don't waste time I think that's my Yes. Thing. Like if as long as you're happy and you're feeling fulfilled every day, if you're waking up every morning going, I hate this, then you need to change something. Yes. And yet it's interesting because I think that I had the same idea. I mean, ultimately I've sort of yeah. lived that probably a little bit more. Yeah. But where did it come from? Because yeah. we all felt Definitely. that. Growing up at that time, we all felt that that was Yeah, that totally. Was the model. And you think, oh, your first high school boyfriend. Like my parents were those people. Like they met at 16 and yeah they lived that kind of life mm. anyone who does that I'm like power to you but I just think everyone's different I'm really hoping that that's starting to really deconstruct especially in those kids coming really? through school I'd love for them not to even consider something mm. be so nice yeah and I think you know depending on your family as well I mean there's definitely kids who do feel the pressure of I better do this mm. because I want to please my parents like I still think of it now and I go whenever I'm choosing like okay, what's my next kind of venture I do think oh my parents are going to be proud of this at the end of the day yeah. it's not their decision to make I didn't want to ever feel obliged to be like well okay I've got to go now and become a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or something because that's what my parents kind of want me to do yes create your own future and so what did it look like for you after you left high school what was the career path I went into full-time dance for two years, two years hardcore, everyday dancing. And then it got to the end of the two years, which is where I think even with uni, like you get to the end of your course and you're like, what am I going to do? Like, where do I go from here? And I had that creeping up. So the end of my second year, like it was just audition like crazy, like just go for every audition and just hope something falls into place. I was lucky enough that it did. So I finished in December and I left for America in January. Mm -hmm. I did my first contract on a cruise ship and I was very lucky that I met some really amazing people. My first contract was probably my favourite thing I've done through my whole dancing journey. I got to travel and see the world and everything just kind of fell into place the way I kind of wanted it to. I went back for a second contract and then I got injured, so I had to come home. Okay. So what was that injury? I had a stress fracture in my foot. So Mm -hmm. while I was over there, they didn't know what was wrong with me. I went for an MRI and they're like, we just can't figure it out. We're going to have to send you home because I couldn't dance. And the contract that I was on is if you were out injured for more than two weeks, then they send you home to get fixed up. And then if you're right to come back, you come back. If not, you stay home essentially. So I got back and got my foot sorted out. I was in like a moon boot for ages and okay. did yeah. that and then I came back. I just wanted to be in Melbourne for a bit. I was in a relationship at that point as well. So that had a huge impact, yes. which, you know, as it does. I was still quite young. So you're like, oh, you're so alone and like, you know, you don't want to leave. But of course. So yeah, so I kind of hung around in Melbourne for a bit dancing. So I was working retail and then mm. I had a big injury. I've dislocated my knee a fair few times and then I had a really bad okay. one and it kind of made me question what I was going to do. Okay. And how old are you at this point? I was 24 Mm. and I kind of just had to evaluate. Do I go in, 
have yeah. this operation, spend 12 months rehabbing, trying to get back to, you know, my peak form. Yeah. You know, work was so sporadic as well. What kind of dancing were you doing at that time? I was doing like more commercial stuff and the cruise contracts, they had a variety of shows. So you did like a lot of Broadway stuff, but then you did some commercial stuff as well. It was a real kind of mix. Yeah. yeah I just had to really evaluate where I was going from there. And I just kind of came to the decision, okay, I'm not going to dance anymore. Mm. And then the next kind of progression was teach. I was already teaching. I started teaching dancing from the time I was in full time. Yeah. Opened up my own school. and I want to stop you there. I want to stop you there at the dance school. So tell me about (laughs) the dance school. How was that experience for you? Uh, It was... It was interesting. I don't ever want to sound like I'm ungrateful for that opportunity because I'm not. I had some amazing, amazing times and it was really cool to just be able to create my own thing and train these students who were so, so talented and it it was truly an amazing experience but it wasn't all sunshine and rainbow. And while I was doing it, I'm trying to be really diplomatic when I say this as well. Like, <laughs> I don't want to come across like I'm ungrateful because I, I, I'm really, really am not. I just had a lot of personal stuff happening at the same time as having the school. Yeah. And I think being so young, yeah. like I was in my 20s, dealing with parents who obviously want the best for their children, but also who are older than you. Yes. Still been quite young. Yes. There are some amazing people out there and then there are some questionable characters out there too. For the most part, I loved it, but there were definitely things that I just was like, in the end I had to say, is this worth it? Is this worth my health? Is this worth I feel like creatively as well, it kind of blocked me because I had to deal with so much behind the scenes. I think there's just a common misconception and I have like Mm -hmm. so much respect for every dance studio owner out there. The amount of stuff you have to go through and kind of put up with and organise and deal with is a lot. And I think about it too, like if I was to have children, of course I want the best for my kid. But you've got to realise like when you've got a school, there's a hundred other families who want the best for their kids too. And you deal with all of it a lot of the time on your own. I was going to say, that's my thing that I think I would find very challenging. Obviously, as a teacher, I'm in a school. I'm highly protected. I have a number Mm -hmm. of colleagues to work with. The buck doesn't stop with me. I'm a teacher in the classroom. There are then student management. There are then assistant principals. There are principals. There's the department. There's the union. There's so much support for me. Mm -hmm. But you have your dance school and Mm -hmm. you've gone from being a dancer to being a principal of your own dance school. I mean, there's no training. There's no <laughs> yeah. hats off to you for even starting it, to be honest. But I imagine it would be incredibly isolating and a huge learning curve. Definitely, because it becomes your life. Mm. It takes up every single minute of every single day. And I think that's something that people don't realise. And I think as well, so many people think, oh, God, you must be like raking it in and like they drop their fees off and they think it all just goes directly to you. But the amount of expenses that come along with it, like you've got staff, insurance, rent, you don't see a lot of it. And Mm. if you're someone who's a perfectionist, like I know I used to spend like a ridiculous amount of money on like good costumes because I didn't want them to be looking like rubbish on stage. And you'd charge something like, oh, here, $75 a higher fee Mm -hmm. for all your costumes. And then you'll go and spend that on one costume. So there were so many families who pitched in and helped out so, so much. 
But I think as well, the kind of clincher was it that Mm. when you're dealing as well with such a high level of talent, it comes at a cost as well, where you kind of pulled in a lot of direction. And Mm. at the time, probably when I was 27, we're going deep now, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and depression. So dealing with that at the same time. Also mm. concealing it from, well, trying my best to conceal it from everyone. I don't know how well that went across. But, like, you know, trying to um, yeah. run a business with that is yes. it's rough and it's hard and you don't exactly want to make an announcement. Do you know what I mean? And be like, hey, guys, you can't yeah. some slack because, yeah, I do. you know, this is what I'm going through. You can't really. Yeah. You will get the people who are like, so what? This is your business. Get on with it. But it's hard. Yeah. when I so understand that. Yeah really rough like I had some really dark kind of days where it was literally like I think there was like maybe like a two-month period where I reckon I went home every night and just sobbed Mm. and went to like a friend's house who was a miracle in herself Mm. I would go to her house every night and just cry for like two hours Mm. and then go back to my house it was really hard and it's also like my parents were so supportive and they were so supportive of school and dad was like super proud dad and super proud mum and them seeing me go through this time but still also not kind of understanding it as well because I kind of downplayed it to them as well. Mm. That whole time I did, I, there were probably mm. like, a ha- I can count on my hand how many people actually knew what was going on and trying yeah. to keep it together, run a studio, I was like, uh, like what am I even doing? Like what? Yeah. And like, I think the final straw for me was I was in hospital unrelated not me another like a family member and I was getting calls about the studio and I was like can I have yeah just one night please yes the end of that year and I just was like this is not worth it like I'm literally being pulled in every direction I can't even get a moment to fix myself to help my family through a hard time yes to deal with all these things and then also have this business to run I'm not saying everyone in the school didn't understand but with the select amount of people who were just like get over it didn't sign up for this what I originally walked into it thinking it was going to be was not what it was in the end so yeah I decided to close up yeah but having said that sometimes I think was it the school that kind of plunged me into a really vulnerable state of mind or would it be different if I picked it up and, and started my own school now being in the headspace and knowing the things that I know, like, would it be different? I don't think I'll ever do it again. I'm quite happy (laughs) teaching and doing what I do now. But I think it's very hard to hold it all together and try. And I remember, like, one of my best friends, she taught for me as well. She's a a dancer as well. And she'll be like, is she okay? Like, something's, like, not right. And then she'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, you know, like. And I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Yes. But there was, there was something seriously wrong and it didn't just, it didn't just last a month or two. It was two years of trying to get through it. As you say, like, is it the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. You know, was it that situation that created that or was it mm-hmm. something that was going to happen no matter what? I think, especially for me, any time that I've been through that's been challenging and difficult, mm-hmm. I hold very, very close yeah. while it's yeah. going on. I don't know if you felt that because yeah. I don't know, I don't know my way out yet. I don't know if I'm going to get out. I don't know any of that. And so I hold it very close. So I can completely understand you needing that time. And I think you're incredible and brave and amazing for bringing it up now because your story is not 
just yours. 100%. There will be so many people that listen to this and go, oh, thank goodness someone else has experienced yeah. this. And I have to admit, like when I did close the school, the amount of teachers and studio owners that reached out to me and were like, you're so brave. This is something I wish I did a lot earlier, yes. but now I'm, I can't. Or I've thought about this so many times, wow. but I'm too far in now. Or I don't think I could do it. I don't think I know where mm. I would go after here. And I think it's being confident yes. enough to say there is something else out there for me. As you know, a lot of my life has revolved around dancing and performing and it gives me a rush and it gives me a happiness like no other and yeah to give something like to actually say I can't do that anymore is really hard and it's so confronting and I'm sure people feel it with other careers as well where they go what am I going to do after this and Mm. and it comes back to even my parents going you're going through high school because you never know what's going to happen you know and I knew that I had a good head on my shoulders Mm. When I announced it, so many people were like, but why? Like, you're so good at it. And, you know, your kids are so successful. And I was like, because my mental health is stuck and I need to fix myself and I need to make sure that I'm okay because if I continue on like this, God knows what's going to happen. At the end of the day, you've got to put Mm. yourself first. I'm a people pleaser by nature. I don't like disappointing people. I don't ever want someone to be unhappy with me. But when I started sticking up for myself, I think, I went into the studio as well, like, everyone's going to be happy and I'm going to please everyone. And uh, no, that's not going to happen. And I think there are some amazing people out there. But like I said, you know, sometimes when you stand up for yourself, certain people can't handle that. Or there are people out there who who won't take that. They're like, well, what are you doing? Like, But it's not what I want. Well, hey, it's what I want. My name's on the door. I can kind of do what I want to do here. Mm -hmm. And I think being so young, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people thought they could walk yes. all over me. And then when I did finally start standing up for myself, people were like, what? What do you mean? Like you're not going to do what we want you to do. Mm. That's where you kind of just take it into mm. your own hands. And you either make that decision to be, okay, well, this is what I'm going to be and I'm going to put up with the, the crap that comes along with it. Or you say, okay, well, I need to change something because this is not going to make me happy in the long yeah. run. You know, I get to go in and teach beautiful students every week and Mm. they make my day some days there are some days that I'm having a crummy day and I can go into a class and be like oh they just made me feel better and it's a group of teenagers and we always want to make an impact on them but sometimes they can it's the reverse oh teaching to me is one of the most incredible professions it is hard and there's a lot of responsibility but you get thanked for doing your job get to see kids succeed in ways that they didn't believe that they could you know you are Mm -hmm. such an integral part and especially and I'd love to talk to you about this actually Mm -hmm. being part of someone's passion you know I'm the teacher at school right I'm the teacher that's handing out homework and marking their assessments and all of that they're not running (laughs) into my class most of the time whereas for you yeah those kids are going there they're asking for you to push them harder they're asking what can I do at home to make myself better so what experience what has that been like that is probably the number one you go Mm. into a class or even just a one-on-one like and you've got this child there that you know they have the same passion that you have and yes you immediately can connect on that level where they love this as much as you love it and everyone's different as well I think as well you've got to go into a class and realize that not everyone loves yes, it as much that's as you do true. As well. that's true you know some kids are there for social yeah. and that's fine too like that's okay for me I just expect you know you come and you, you try your best because you never know some people they get to like 15 they're like oh 
actually, I really want to do this. And if they fucked around for like, you know, eight years, then yes. they're eight years behind in the sense that they haven't yeah. worked to their best of their ability and now they want to make something of it and you're like, oh, I wish you'd told me this earlier. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I totally understand that. But having said that, it's such a powerful environment. For me, it's my creative time. It's being able to share something that I don't think I'd be able to go through life without it. Yes. Like whether it's teaching one class a fortnight. So I moved to London a few years ago and I spent a whole year not teaching and not dancing. I think I had this amazing experience because while I was living in London. Yes. But I came home and the first thing I did, I was like, mom, we got to go shopping. And then I was like, can we just stop by the studio to visit everyone? Yeah. And she was like, <laughs> she was like what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's family for you. Yeah, it is. And I think it's just you just have a lifelong connection with these people, whether you see them 20 years from now or, you know, you see them all the time. You right. you always have that connection with people. Yeah. But yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful community. But even you and I, like, we went through, you know, their secondary years together from different high schools right? yeah. and are in dance school yeah. and we, you know, fall, fall away for a little while and then we come back together yeah. and we always have so much to talk about because we spent so many formative years together with very, very similar yeah. experiences, shaped us perhaps in different ways, but we get it. And yeah. we get each other and we get where we've come from. Yeah. And there's just that connection that that it just no. never goes away. As a dancer, well, you know, <laughs> again, I said inverted commas, as somebody mm-hmm. who danced, mm. you know, <laughs> I felt like we lived, especially through the 90s, end of the 90s into the early 2000s, that that was the mm-hmm. decade of having to be really, really thin. And I felt that the dancer's body was very, very mm-hmm. specific. And I certainly found that very challenging mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if that had an impact on you as well totally yeah that was one of the not so nice mm. elements for something that I wholeheartedly encourage so many yeah. people to do as well I mean obviously there are a lot of body positivity movements and stuff like that coming through I think we've got a long way to go yes I don't know like talking to what I went through it's something very personal for everyone For me, it's something that kind of Mm. stays with me. I am definitely a lot kinder to myself now, but it's something I don't think I'll ever fully heal from. And it's not to place blame on anyone. I don't want to be pointing fingers at people, but it's just the way the industry is and was. Through my dancing years, I remember like starting to watch what I was eating when I was like 10, 11 years old. Like a child, you know, and... I'm all for being healthy and, you know, you're not going to be going to Macca's every day. But, like, really, like, just watching what I was eating all the time. I put on weight. I was very Mm. aware of it, how Mm. costumes fit. I definitely had issues and especially wanting to be a classically, like, trained dancer And I think, too, when we were going through that, that was the style. All the other things were, I think, considered the hobbies. You know, you did a bit of jazz, you did a bit of tap, whatever. Yeah. But... You know, you, we were all there to be yeah. ballet dancers. Yeah. That was kind of the goal. Totally. And I think, you know, you went to certain schools for certain yeah, kind of training. If you wanted to be in musicals and on Broadway, you went to a certain type of school. If you yes. went wanted to be a, a classical dancer and be in a ballet company, you went to a certain type of school. Mm. And like I said, that's what I thought I wanted to do. Yeah. And there were so many <sighs> moments through my teenage years where I was just like, oh, 
my gosh, can I do this? Can I not do this? But I wanted it so badly because I loved it so much. Yes. That you kind of sacrifice Mm. those things. And moving on from the classical side of it, it's not much different when you get to the commercial side of it either. Yeah. From back then, like, you know, like classical dancers, way thin like oh, yeah. I mean they still they're a lot I feel like now they're, they're a lot fitter looking like they're still yeah. very slender but there's a lot more muscular like, like there's a muscular element to them yeah I felt at the time when we were dancing that was like I had quads for days <laughs> and like, <laughs> like you know like I don't think that's what they wanted and <laughs> being ethnic you know from an ethnic background as well like I was not a straight up and down girl and it just, mm. I didn't, at the time, it didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I was like, why do I have such a small waist and yeah. like big hips and thighs? And what do I do yeah. to change this? I can't change it, you know, and you can't. That's your yeah. body type. But, um, but at the time, you thought you could. 100%. I was like, ah, like, you know, like yeah. a million crunches a day. It's just yes. insane. And, you know, oh, okay, well, I just won't eat this or I won't eat that. When I was a teenager, I, for a short while tried growing up mm-hmm. which are so not healthy and so not normal and also totally behind everyone's mm-hmm. back as well my parents had no idea yeah. and they would be like I mean if they listen to this probably the first time they'll hear it like do you know what I mean like they'd be horrified and uh, yeah like that didn't yeah didn't last too long because I also hate the feeling so I was just like, no, that's not going to happen. It's not pleasant yeah, at all. Pleasant. Um, but I got sick. I must have had like a stomach flu or something like that. And I lost quite a bit of weight. And I don't know if you remember that time, like I dropped all this yeah. weight all of a sudden. Everyone's like, what the hell? But then also they were like, you look amazing. And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Yes. So I just yeah. kind of yeah. what I was eating to stay that way. I didn't lose the weight like in a healthy way. I got sick. Yeah. <laughs> like and it just Yes. From then yeah. I mean, I feel like unhealthy relationships with food for dancers is it's like the norm basically. Yeah. And I think ultra critical looking at your body too. That's the thing. I think during that time because Mm. yeah I definitely was not a ballet dancer in terms of shape at all and I was very aware and I don't know people are aware that they don't make costumes for you there are costumes for the troupe and so when you move up to the next dancing troupe you get those costumes and so you are very aware of who getting the big costume or the small costume it's very clear you're openly Mm -hmm. in a room everyone knows and it's oh oh, we've got to we have to take that out it's very very confronting especially for young girls mm-hmm. who are developing their bodies and yeah there's already so much shame in the media around women and what they should look like and that was a very challenging time for yeah, me and I was very totally. very hard on my body and for a very long time too like I developed early as well which didn't help matters at all and that's also because of what we were exposed to this is the ideal what you want to be why aren't you that Exactly. And you have to be so much kinder to yourself. And to be honest, it didn't really change as I grew up. You know, I got into full-time dance. Okay. And that's a brutal, cutthroat world. Some of the best times of my life, but also some of the worst times. Yeah. And I remember dancing eight hours Mm. a day, getting home, doing a workout, and then going to go teach for two to three hours at night. And I did develop an eating disorder. And it was when I was in full time and I remember dropping a bunch of weight. 
Only one person in my life actually called me out on it and said, what are you doing? And I brushed it off. I was like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, yeah. it's fine. I've just been stressed or I've been, you know, going to the gym a little bit harder. You know, you lie. And everyone was like, you look amazing. Like, look at you. And yes. and it's the validation. Of that. I wasn't a big person either. I was like a size eight to 10. And I'd get called in and be like, well, you need to lose some weight. Yeah. And I'll never forget. We used to get like assessment seats and stuff like that. And I got one, one term and each kind of like teacher would kind of like give you some feedback, you know, and I had no, no issues or no lack of confidence in my dancing ability. I was always confident in that. It was how I looked that I knew was my downfall. And I say that in inverted commas. And I remember it so clearly I got my sheets back and one of the staff had put on one of my sheets nothing about my dance ability nothing about my choreography that I was doing it had one line on it and it said wait still an issue and I cried the entire way home I called one of my friends cried the I was on like a packed city train as well like Mm. on the way home bawling my eyes out going how do I get past this and then a term later I was being praised by how much weight I'd lost and I was like sweet I've made it like look at me I'm thin I can dance like you know it's great and like that kind of just like mentally defeated me I was just like ugh. and I remember like costume days where we'd get our bag of costumes and like you said they're not made for you you just get shoved something and I used to go home and cry at these costs because they were so tiny, <laughs> like literally like a piece of material. And you got to somehow try well, we and make it work. Talk, we still talk about that one where yeah. we, we were in. And how old were we? I reckon we the couldn't have been ones. more than United or 10. Yeah, the, the ones with the red bikinis. <laughs> we were in red bikinis with a sheer lace overlay. We still talk right. about that. I, <laughs> but yeah we wouldn't have been more than 15 14 you know or 15 like, wearing it's those. so funny because like you watch the video back and we were so self-conscious and I was like well, well, I don't have like, the video I'd never watch that back again <laughs> <laughs> I say this all the time like my perception of myself at that time I thought I was a beast through like my teenage years and yeah. through full time and even on my like contract I remember on my second contract you know, we did weigh-ins every two weeks. Oh. That was traumatic. And I remember I would go three, four days without eating and I'd be doing shows in that time. Oh. I would do my shows and I would literally eat like, it's quite literally like the Devil Wears Prada where you eat the cube of cheese. That's what I would do. Yeah. I remember I had a really great roommate on my first contract and I remember she came up one day, like we'd all kind of go eat together and stuff like that. She came down to me one day and she brought me food. And she was like, you haven't eaten in days and I'm going to sit here and watch you eat. And I look back on that and I feel sad to beat myself up that much when I was already there. Like I'd already gotten the job. And I do, I feel sad for that person who made herself feel so crappy. And it has had a negative flow on effect. My relationship with food, as you say, you know, has not been easy. Mm. And I'm a lot kinder to myself now. But Mm. the time I was 10, 11 years old, watching what I was eating, having an eating disorder, unless you can really see someone really wasting away or being really thin, you don't associate it with an eating disorder. Like I looked normal. I just looked like a slender person 
no one would have even have thought yep. that I was doing the things I was doing behind the scenes to look like that. Yeah, and like if I lost a few kilos, it was like congratulations and high fives yep. all around. That's right. So I try to be yes. very conscious of that now as well when I'm teaching. Like unless yeah. I feel something's going on, I will then bring it up the right way or, you know, flag it with someone or have a discussion and then, you know, you obviously reach out. But I don't ever want to be that person. You have to look like this because I know what I went through. I know the impact it has had on me. Like I'm 34 years old now and I still have to talk myself out of a certain way of thinking yeah. some days yeah. because of that. And also being in an environment where you are looking in the mirror for so long, every day, yeah. all day. Yeah. And it was really hard yeah. when you're so critical. And people comment, so many people comment when they shouldn't either as well you know and so many people yeah. say things that I'm like how can you say that to someone's face yes but I remember mm. having in my early 30s yeah. I was trying to have a baby and mm. um, I actually lost a baby in that time yeah and the amount of people you have no that idea. would come up to me and say so when are you having a baby what's going on what's going on you're married what's going on you know that's another example of you don't know what's going on you have absolutely no idea and Mm-hmm. I said to one of the exactly. one of my male colleagues, just leave it alone. You don't know what's going on. Oh, I'm just interested. Well, your interest it's doesn't so, trump yeah, it's what could be going like, on in so their many lives. To it. So just be really aware. And there's so many, and you know, we're talking about body image, we're talking about even, you know, why are you single? I get this on that I get the this most on the regular. Awful I get this on the regular. Comment. Like, why? We don't understand why you're single. And I'm like, <gasps> I'm not asking. Like, I don't think I'm a horrible person, but this is how it is. That's why, like, especially when it comes to body image, I'm like, just don't comment. The other thing I wanted to ask you too was, we touched on this a little bit before, is Mm -hmm. the overly mature costumes, the makeup, the way that these little girls are presented. And I didn't even think anything of it because I was in the world Mm -hmm. and it's just what you did. You put your false eyelashes on, you wore pancake on your face a hundred times darker than your actual skin colour or, you know, it was for me at least. I had the big line on my (laughs) skin and it's just what you did. Yeah. My husband comes in and says, absolutely no way is our daughter going to be dressed up like that. And it's the first time I've really gone, oh, (laughs) then my, you know, and that just goes to show I was just in it for so long I didn't even think about it. But what are your thoughts? I think it depends. I always start off my conversation. When I'm having a conversation like this, I go, I'm not a prude. But seriously, some of the questionable dance moves, some of the very questionable costumes, like the the like super low rider briefs with like the tiny little bralette crop top, whatever you want to call it, that barely covers anything on like a six-year-old. And then, you know, those people who are like, oh, you're sexualizing it. I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm really not. I just find it inappropriate when, you know, they're in the splits for the majority of the routine. Color me crazy. I don't know. I think there's just an over-sexualized genre, I don't know, wave, whatever you want to call it, coming Mm. through at the moment. Like I'm seeing dancers who are like, nine, 10, 11 years old, dancing some of the stuff yes. that I only got to do when I got to full time and like m- maturity of style. Like there are some amazing kids out there. Like these mm. kids can do things that I could never dream of doing technically, but just because they're advanced in that way does not mean you choreograph yeah. on them like they're 20 years old. 
And this is the problem. And I think there is definitely a line. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a teacher's responsibility. I see so many Instagram famous, 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 whatever you want to call them, choreographers out in the world today who can't even be bothered. Listen how angry I'm getting, sorry. But who can't even be bothered re-choreographing something when they go into a class mm-hmm. with a bunch of 10 or 11-year-olds. And that fires me up because what I would teach to a 20-year-old in an open class, in a full-time class, is 150% completely different to what I'm teaching to a 10 and 11-year-old. If you're demanding top dollar for your service, you deliver on that. Don't be lazy and just go, ah, this routine will do for them. No, they're children. And they deserve to be choreographed like children. Let's put so inappropriate. On the weekends, when I was a kid, we'd have video hits on. You'd never have to worry that there was something yeah. inappropriate on video hits. They'd be doing, you know, your Janet Jackson moves mm. and maybe staring off into yeah. a sunset with some very odd, like, cartoon element or whatever. It was weird, <laughs> but it was fine. There's no yeah. way I would leave the music channel on here with two little kids. Absolutely no way. No, you don't want them to watch a bit of what? Number one, is it not? Is it not number one right now? And I haven't seen the video. Like, I don't know. I'll probably get killed and everyone will be like, it's such a big movement for women. And it is. And it is. I'm not going to, I'm never going to say you shouldn't record that song. You do what you want. That's great. No, do what you want to do. There is a time frame in the day. There is a time frame in the day (laughs) in which young children are watching television or are exposed to certain Mm -hmm. things. And I know for sure when we were kids, after 8 30, 9 o'clock, the television ratings changed. <laughs> we were asleep. We Definitely. were not exposed to some of those things. And that's also my responsibility. You know, I'm not going to say that that's everything. And, and that's yeah. the problem we've got with the streaming stuff, too. But yeah. there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. There's a lot. I don't know if it's an age thing. I don't know if it's how I was brought up. I don't I, I don't know what it is in me that like triggers such an intense reaction when I see like inappropriate things. I think when you put yourself out there as a choreographer or a teacher, you have a social responsibility. And you have a responsibility to the children that are in your school. You have a responsibility to the children that follow you. And this goes for choreographers and whatever. Like I have a completely separate page dedicated to dancers, stuff that I've done, showcasing all the students I teach because it's about them, it's not about me. Do what you want to do on your social media, but when you've got to be very careful with Mm. your following as well. If you've got a large percentage of students who are 11, 12, 13, 14, impressionable, like you said, in those formative years, Watching everything you do because they idolize you and what you're capable of and your talent, can you not pose half naked and put that up on your social media? I don't want kids to miss out on it on their childhood and all the fun things we used to do as children. Like, why do you want to grow up so fast? It looks so much. It looks like so much fun on social media. That's what it is. I know, but I don't know. Like, it's just, and I guess maybe it's also because we weren't exposed to that either. I mean, I could be having a very different conversation with you right now if we had social media when I was 14. I'm very grateful I didn't. So I feel like we have already spoken about a lot of lessons, but is there any other lesson that you've learned in life that you'd like to share? Don't be so hard on yourself. I think, and I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but it's true because you've got to leave yourself time to grow. You've got to leave yourself time to heal and nothing can be predicted. 
you know, life throws you so many different curveballs. But if you deal with it a certain way and then you think in hindsight, yes. oh, I shouldn't have done that, yes. don't spend forever beating yourself up about that. There has been so many situations where I've thought to myself, yeah, this is the right way. And then like a year later, I've gone, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Or I probably shouldn't have said that. Or maybe I could have done it this way and that would have had a better outcome. But Absolutely. it's great to have those thoughts because that means you're learning from it. But at the same time, don't sit there and go, oh, this is the worst thing. Why have I done that? And then have an anxiety attack because, yes. you know, over something that happened two years ago. I think another one is for me, this is a big thing is just being really grateful for everyone who's come into your life and like made an impact on your life. I think especially in being in creative industries, you you meet a lot of people along the way and there are definitely teachers who've made such great impacts on me and we may not speak all the time, but I think it's very important to stay humble and to not forget about those people and yeah. not forget where you came from and where you started. I think it's very easy to do when you do have success or when you find something different or when something takes you in a different path to forget about those people I think to keep yourself grounded and to keep yourself humble you have to remember these are the people who have made those positive impacts along the way and whether you speak to them or not whether you had a falling out or not like I've had plenty of falling outs with people who you know didn't make an impact on my life or have come into my life for one reason or the other but it doesn't mean it negates the experience we had. It never means I'm not grateful for the time we had or I'm not grateful for the things they did for me and vice versa. It just, your life takes you on a different path. So I think you've just got to hold those things close to you and not have too much animosity. Mm, I love Make that a bit so of life for yourself. I love that so yeah. much. Thank you so yeah. much for everything. And My pleasure. Thank you for being so brave because, honestly, that's what you've been. Oh, thanks. And... I think that there's so many people that need to hear exactly what you've said today. Well, I think these are conversations that, like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I said today that I just, I haven't had the opportunity to speak about or people just don't know it about me because yeah. I'm quite, like, I joke around a lot and I'm fairly relaxed and, like, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So I think if it can change, you know, the way someone thinks about something or how they feel about themselves, and there's always people, I think this is, oh, sorry, this is another thing I have to say. There's always someone who's there who's willing to help you. No one is ever yes. alone. For me, I know that, you know, when I was going through all, all, all the things I went through, it was me who was the person who had to make the decision to help myself. But there is always mm. going to be someone in your life who will be there for you. And I think that's so important to yep. remember as well. I don't think I would have gotten through half of what I went through without, you know, there was a, you know, very small group of people, but... And at the time, they probably thought they weren't yeah. doing anything, you know. And I've heard some of my friends say, we just didn't know what to do with you. <laughs> like, you know, but yeah. I was like, no, yeah. but just being there, even, you know, not every day, just knowing that I could call you made a difference. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, they say, what is it? Um, a problem shared is a problem mm -hmm. halved. And I think that, that is incredibly true yeah. because the longer and the more privately you hold on to something, the greater the burden yeah. And, and you've got to I've, let found, go. I've certainly found that to be true in my yeah. life. Yeah, you've yeah. got to let go. Of, I know my dad said to me once when I was kind of in the thick of it, I was having like an anxiety attack at stopping centre. <laughs> and he was just like, I don't get it. You're, you're the one who looks after everyone else. Like what is going on? And he literally just took me out to the car right. and was like, you have to say something because I 
can't do anything about it if you don't tell me. Mm. And that's what it is. Like, you know, it's such a cliche that it's always, you know, the strong people who just don't show it. And it's true. It's true, though, because it's exactly what my dad said to me. He said, I don't get it. You're the strong one. You're the put-together one. You look after us. You look after everyone else. What is happening? And I just, I sat there and I was like, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. And it was a wake-up call for me that actually say, hey, look after yourself for a second and stop worrying so much about every little thing that's going on around you and look after yourself and stop hiding things. Did you find that that role was a really hard transition, though, to go from the one that was fully put together and to be really Mm -hmm. comfortable in that role? Because I can, that's how it felt for me, too. I was, again, always really put together from the outside. I looked a certain way. I always seemed to be on top of everything. To make that transition to trust somebody else to be Mm -hmm. stronger than me was very, very challenging. Trying to actually sit there and let myself be vulnerable was really hard. It was very, very hard and that was giving me anxiety in itself because I was like, what are people going to think? Like what, allowing yourself to be vulnerable. It's a very powerful thing, but it's also very, very freaking scary because you don't know how, like for me, I just didn't know what would happen if I just let it all kind of melt away and be this kind of person that was like I was unwell. I was so, I just didn't know where else to go on what to do and I think I'd been trying to fix it on my own for so long that I just was like what's going to happen if I just let it all out like what is going to happen and what did happen well I mean when I find it all kind of came to a head I had a panic attack that was pretty pretty intense and I literally thought I was going to have to go to the hospital I thought I was having a heart attack and okay I like ran over to my friend who helped me through a lot of it and I just was like what is happening to me? And she was like, you're having a panic attack. Just come in and sit down. <laughs> and I think it was really hard for me to open up to my parents that much as well. I think as well, it's it's always harder with your immediate because yeah, of I think as well because I had built up this frame around me and, of who I am and what I was going to be and what I was that I was very scared to show them how unhappy I was. And that was really, it's sad because... I know it would up, like hurt them to think that I couldn't open up to them, but at the same time, I really wanted to fix myself and show them yeah. that I can, I can do this. I don't want you to worry about me. Like being family, they worry about you so much more than the, you know, the next person. Yeah. But being vulnerable puts you in a place to get better. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. You have to let it go. You kind of have to, and it's so, it's, it's so true. You got to hit rock bottom before you come back up. You got to do it. But there is a way out. There's. Yeah. There's always. always a way out. Yeah. Yes. I always. think that's, we can stress anything. There mm-hmm. is always a way. There is always someone. There's, There's always, always someone. a support network. Always. always. Yes. And I'm so glad that like we're starting to break down all those stigmas. Yeah. I remember like once upon a time in high school and like we talk about job interviews yeah. and stuff like that. And they're like, don't mention these three things and don't mention that you've ever had like struggles with mental health or blah, 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 because it was such a like big no-no. Oh, yeah. When I got to London, one of my first interviews, I was like so open about it. Like I think one of the questions was like, oh, what's your biggest struggle that you've overcome or something? And I was like, well, I was diagnosed with depression and I made it through and now I'm here on my own. And like the person who was interviewing me was like, right on. And I got the job. I was like, we need to stop this thing that, you know, it's it's something you should be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. So many people go through it. Yes. I think it's, yeah. 
definitely something people should not be afraid to be open about. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time, Jill. <laughs> it was so beautiful to see I told you. I was, like, I was like, you're, you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> and I've loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. My pleasure.